1: I'm Laura Gregg, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Partain. Hello, David.
2: Hello, Laura. Good to be with you today.
1: Good to have you. I'm the flexible advisor. We seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine tune or grow their businesses while deepening client relationships. And today we're going to talk about the power of creating productive habits that can be sustained to help you move closer to your goals. Our guest today is Matt Anderson and Matt is a coach to advisors wanting to find techniques that will actually bring about real change in their business, not lofty goals that may be impossible to reach. Matt will help us understand how to build habits by making tiny powerful changes. And I know this is something that I'm really looking forward to talking about. I appreciate David introducing me to Matt Anderson as our guest today.
3: It's great to be here, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, Laura, it was a, a
2: really Interesting circumstance around how I met Matt and it was through a mutual acquaintance that we both had and that mutual acquaintance had actually read our recent advisor work, including advisor wellness reaching executive women and the team diversity programs and the great thing is Laura that we have gone global as this connector (laughs) of Matt and I resides in South Africa. His, na- wow. his name is Derek Smorenberg, and he is the founder of the South African Independent Financial Advisors Association. Derek told Matt to reach out to me, and now here is Matt on the Flexible Advisor podcast.
1: Well, let's hope Derek's listening to this.
2: <laughs> That's <so>. us <laughs> although, to be honest, Matt lives right here in Chicago with us. He does run Breakthrough Bound Groups. He is a coach, speaker, and author who has helped over a 1,000 financial advisors from over 35 countries since 2002 get more and better prospects and to get out of their own way. Matt has spoken at many global and national financial services conferences. And he is an author, which is not easy to do, of the international bestseller, Fearless Referrals. While he is based in Chicago, as I mentioned, he hails from Coventry in the UK. Matt, thanks so much for joining us on the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Thank you, David. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's nice to speak with you again. Well, let's start by talking about your firm, when and why you started it, and some of the most impact programs
3: you've been offering to financial
2: advisors over the years.
3: I started my business because once I start once I trained as a coach and I actually didn't know anything about how to generate business, I asked everyone I met, everywhere I networked, how they got their business. And almost everyone told me it was word of mouth. And it just prompted this deep interest in referrals. And at the time, this was 20 years ago, I couldn't find books on the subject. So I just decided to master it myself. And then I started teaching it to others and For whatever reason, financial advisors seem to be the best fit, the best industry fit. And that's where I've stayed ever since.
1: I know referral, uh, talking about referrals always comes up as I'm speaking to advisors. Uh, I think there are so many advisors out there that are trying to find the right tools or the right tricks to, to do that. Can you tell us a little more about Breakthrough Bound?
3: Yeah, right. So the transition to this is I created this recipe, this four-step process around getting referrals. I coached, you know, hundreds and hundreds of advisors and found that only about 15% of them, maybe 20% of them got fabulous results with this recipe. Like everyone got the same information, but I couldn't understand why so many people didn't follow through on it. And it's, it does an injustice to say, I mean, it has literally taken me many years to come up with better answers really only the last couple of years have I focused so much on habits because I realized that that was the missing piece. The ones who got the great results probably made two big shifts. One was a mindset shift and then one was something they would do differently. And I realized that that's what I needed to help teach better so that people got the results that they actually wanted to. And that's what I do now with my breakthrough bound groups is it's very much centered around better, tiny habits that incrementally over time can create fantastic
1: results. When you spoke a while back, uh, you mentioned that to me, the first step in making any change personally or professional revolves around the person's identity. And I found that really interesting. Will you talk about that and, and why a sense of identity is so important to being able to successfully build and maintain good habits?
3: yeah and and some people use the word mindset as well for those of you listening that are more familiar with that word it's it's as almost as good. identity is a bit better, I think, because it's it's sort of who you see yourself as. and the problem is is most of the time we we try to change by doing something differently. I mean sometimes that works, but for bigger things, like if we do significantly want to grow our business or make any change that's not going to be easy, the identity piece is crucial. The best place to start, and actually January is a perfect time for this, is to ask yourself the question, you know, what type of person do I want to be in the upcoming months? From that, whether it's more focused, more confident, more organized, uh, a better prospector, more present, whatever that is, is something more healthier, then, then that's where you start in terms of getting your head in the right place.
1: Is understanding who you want to be. Is that an easy
3: process? Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think the easiest place to start is to just look at different parts of your life. I mean, and score them on a scale of one to 10 from your vocation to your health, to your finances, to your spiritual life to the key relationships. And I think wherever you see you're having the most challenge is probably the wisest place to start in terms of addressing what, what identity could best be addressed first?
1: Once you've helped someone to better understand their aspirations, their identity, or why they want something, what happens next in the, in the process?
3: So then you're ready to do something about it, and the process then becomes really brainstorming different Actions, different ways to fulfill that identity and that matters so much because you you need to prove to your brain that you are becoming that type of person and then but my suggestion my recommendation is you start tiny with whatever it is you do because it's it's going to have a much higher likelihood that you'll succeed over the long haul
1: so what are some examples of the the tiny habits like how do we get started
3: <laughs> yeah well it in some ways there's there's all kinds of ideas i mean in so the book uh, there's a book called tiny habits and it's it's based on oh, it's written by stanford professor bj Fogg. and by the way i should say so he's done 20 years of research on this he's a a world expert on on human behavior which is really what his passion is is human behavior design He has examples in there that um, sort of like the flossing one tooth, or if you want to get fitter, simply putting on your shoes is, is the tiny habit. If you want to start cooking for yourself, then you just turn on the stove. But I mean, it's, it sounds like it's flossing one tooth. So so it sounds ridiculous. And he uses his his own example, but it's, I mean, it's not a terrible one. It's like, after you've gone to the bathroom, you do two pushups, but it's starting really small and then building from there, because that's something that's very, achievable and there's more to the process and we'll we'll get into that but from a business standpoint like if you have if you've gone rusty with prospecting it's making one phone call or asking for one referral it's those types of things because the point to this really is is if you then celebrate that action and feel good about it success breeds success and your brain is going to start to want you to do more of it in a positive way
2: so matt i hate flossing I can't imagine my dentist is going to be happy with me if I only do one, but I'm going to start there because I hate it. I just was at the dentist. So, oh my gosh, that's what's on my brain, frankly, right now. (laughs) As you're talking about this, who you want to be, I remember one of my favorite TV shows goes back a ways is Frasier, and he ends up seeing his, the paper of record in Seattle thinks that he has passed away. So he sees his obituary. As someone who's still alive, and he realizes, wow, I need to make some changes. I've held on to that, even though it was a good humor in the episode. I've held on to the like, what, how do you want your kind of your obituary to read when you, when all is said and done? And so I was thinking about this topic. I have made New Year's resolutions, and they typically last days, maybe weeks. <laughs> if I get lucky, a few of them have lasted a couple months. Should we dump those New Year's resolutions and think at a more micro level? Uh, That's
3: a great question. Uh, I mean, you raise several different things there. The first thing to understand, especially when you talk about the Fraser example, and this is what's such a revelation for me, is that Motivation is fickle. Motivation is unreliable. You might have a lot of motivation after a painful experience like what you know Fraser experienced on the TV show. The problem is is that only lasts for so long, in the same way that the New Year's resolution motivation, it needs more sustenance. And it and, and none of us are motivated all the time. So it's one of the painful lessons I've had to learn coaching people is that you know you need more than motivation. And 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 the, the solution is really this, this process that FOG has developed that where most motivation comes last preceding that are uh, is having a prompt a reminder to get you to do something so even if you just use your flossing example so after you brush your teeth that's the prompt you floss one tooth and then the third part to it is, is you celebrate in some way that feels good to you to kind of give your brain that dopamine hit that's part of the process that's going to help it's all of these things put together so it's having the identity piece of What type of person you want to be, and then identifying some of these tiny habits that will support you in getting there. Um, But understanding that to to change a habit, you if once you understand that that there's a process that will work for you, then then um, you know then you empowered to know how to change, and that's perhaps the most empowering piece of all is that this is uh, learning how to change is a skill, just like playing a musical instrument or learning a foreign language or getting good at a sport and once you understand that then you're willing to give yourself the opportunity to get past the new year's resolution piece and turn it into something where you can get enjoy long-term success
2: laura matt i'm thinking that after i floss i should have some chocolate that's what i'm thinking
1: (laughs) (laughs) i guess whatever works so i am interested in learning about celebration that we're, we're going to encourage David with his flossing on our <laughs> on our team calls. Of course, this will not go unshared with the larger FlexShares marketing team. In, in theory, I get it, but I'm sure this doesn't work for everyone. Can you tell us a little bit more, Matt, about this? And what are some of the common mistakes that you see advisors make as they're trying to change their habits? And can we... Move it beyond David Slossing because I know he's going to have great success with that <laughs> and maybe into more into the advisory space.
3: Well, I think that's what's so exciting about this topic, Laura, is that it's, I think, it's not that people, I mean, yes, we've all made lots of mistakes and, and I've made many too. It's I think it's been a lack of knowledge and understanding about how change works. For 20 years as a coach, or almost 20 years, I always thought that change was, was actually really hard. I never liked to admit that, but it just seemed like that was what I was experiencing. And that, as I mentioned earlier, that motivation was the key to everything. That repetition was the only way you could instill a new habit. And that really the best way to talk yourself into making change was to frankly be really hard on yourself and keep berating yourself uh, if you didn't do well enough at whatever it was that you were trying to do. Those are the mistakes that we've all made. To understand that there actually is a process around behavior design that's based on the model of having clear thinking. So once you are clear about what it is that you want more of or differently, Then you can come up with better methods for your behavior design. Fogg talks about this. One of the prerequisites to success with this topic is an experimental mindset, is we have to try different things and and be okay with that, be okay with something not working as well as it did for somebody else. But feeling like there's got to be a solution to this, to understand that there's a process that if you start tiny and you celebrate your brain over time and actually rather quickly is going to want more of it. And, and ironically, well not ironically, maybe that's not the right word, but in exactly the same way that the alcoholic wants a drink or the drug addict needs drugs. I mean, it's human behavior. If something feels good to the brain, it wants more of it. Um, obviously what we're talking about today are more effective business habits that people can implement, but the process is exactly the same regardless of what we're talking about.
1: I'm sure You've worked with, I think, more than a thousand advisors and helping them with a variety of things. What's a favorite success story that you have an ad, of an advisor using this tiny habit program? And and what has it meant for their advisory business?
3: Well, uh, lawyer, if, if you don't mind, I'd actually like to give a few, several quick examples because I think it's important to paint the picture so those listening don't kind of latch on too much to one a specific example, last year I coached someone and his tiny habit was three stretch asks a week. So three uncomfortable asks, three things that gave him some butterflies a week. Last year he brought in 35 million in assets. This year he's brought in a hundred and that's virtually the only thing he's changed about his business. Four years ago, I had a client who wasn't asking for referrals. He committed to one referral ask a day, one over 40 weeks. So about 200 asks, additional asks. His revenue went up from 350 to 500,000 pound. I had another client who had a similar leap by um, scheduling uh, an additional one and a half meetings a week average throughout the year. Again, it's week in, week out. More remarkably, I had a client in 2012 whose average client was worth a million and he wanted to get it up to five. And really one of the few things he did differently was he just started telling his network that he was essentially shifting his specialization to work with more affluent families. He got to the five within a year. I talked to him in January, or I should say last uh, January of 2020, his average client is now worth 50 million, essentially because he's continued to apply that one principle of educating his network, essentially that he's going up market. I mean, he words it differently. He talks about it in terms of his, based on all his you know, he's shifted his specialty area or his specialization. And then my last example would be a client who was bringing in about 30 million in assets when I worked with him. But one of the things he did different, again, the tiny habit was, about three times a week, he would ask one of the professionals in his network for for something. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been for recommendations on a certain book or invitations to events, but he would ask them for something or it didn't really matter what it was. It was the principle of, I call it testing the waters, but essentially of seeing who in my network actually is serious about helping me and wants to build a relationship with me versus the 80% of people we meet with as professionals. I'm talking lawyers, accountants, investment bankers who talk a good game, but are never actually ever going to come through. He has applied that principle ever since, but three years after we worked together, so he brought in 30 million in 2013. Three years later, he brought in 369 million on his own, and he's averaged 150 million either every year either side of that as a, as a result of this principle essentially of not spending time with people who are not really when push comes to shove, going to do anything to help him. So he's constantly been focusing on who are the people who are serious. So it's those types of things that on the surface sound awfully trivial and underwhelming. But when you apply them again, it's the consistency of it. And that's why that process is so important that it's a, it's it's something that can become a habit by starting small and then celebrating yourself for having done something tiny. And of course, if you want to go big, then you go as big as you want, whenever you want, whenever you feel like it, but it's not contingent that you've got to sort of, again, have a heart attack every day and go full out when when that's not realistic mm-hmm. or sustainable.
2: Yeah. So during COVID, have you seen any uh, differences in the advisors that you're coaching at this
3: time? Differences, how so?
2: Is there anything unique that you're seeing during this time that you, has surprised you that advisors are struggling with? And it's really simply due to the the implications of the pandemic.
3: Well, absolutely. Uh, Not a week goes by, David, when someone doesn't, I suppose, complain to me about how it's harder to connect with people virtually. And I'd be a fool to deny that. However, what I have learned is that the mistake many advisors have made this year is they've tried to run the exact same meeting agenda over the computer that they do in person and have sort of not realize all the opportunities that they're missing to sort of have that extra connection or bond or find the common ground and have the chit-chat as you're walking into the office or going to get them coffee or walking out to your cars or all those sort of little pieces so what i've been recommending to to advisors is change your meeting agenda a little bit you know carve out more time to make a more personal personal connection, to be more personable. And I'd also say to be more vulnerable. And I think many people have, but if it's still a major challenge, then I would say do it more. Obviously things aren't going to be changing too quickly with this environment. And I think most of us realize that some of our clients will want to carry on meeting virtually because it's more convenient for them.
1: So Matt, I love to celebrate can you tell us a little bit more about how you coach advisors to celebrate those small, <laughs> those small wins? Like, what does it look like after David flosses his one tooth, or after somebody <laughs> makes a call to somebody to ask for something? What does that celebration look like?
3: Okay, now that actually, I'm so glad you asked that because in the book and talking to BJ. Fogg personally, he actually says that the celebration part is the most important thing about the process. It's the thing that most people have the hardest time with because most of us have been raised not to celebrate and to sort of downplay things and be very self-effacing, and certainly if you're British, almost self-deprecating. And that doesn't serve us. the The answer to your question is that there isn't a specific answer. I mean, it could be anything from pumping your fist to saying yes to looking up and seeing an invisible crowd cheering you or imagining your client, child clapping it could be doing a little dance it could be something you know music related it could be it could be almost anything i mean what, one of my favorites is how do you respond when your favorite team scores it's 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 that kind of thing but it's there's no one answer and that's why the most important thing about your question, Laura, is that you is that you experiment, each of you experiments, because what works for me won't work for anybody else or won't work for many people. So you've got to sort of play with that because it needs to be something you do immediately and genuinely feels good. And that might take some some playing. And I would also say, because uh, I mean, again, a coach advises on this and most of them have not found, well, they've definitely not, none of them have found it easy. Not one of them has found it easy. So therefore you've got to give it time, like give it a few weeks before it might start to feel more natural and and have a little fun with it. One of my clients... I don't know how he found this, but he, I should know what it was called, but he found some button that used to be in certain stores. And when you push it, it cheers, or it says, way to go, or well done, <laughs> nice job. And it's totally tacky and goofy, but it makes him laugh. And again, it's that quick feel-good piece. Like I said, once you start doing this effectively, it won't take very long before your brain starts to say, I, I want more of that. That felt good. I want to actually, you know, it, it felt good to set up that meeting. It felt good to get that referral uh, I'm going to ask more. It's that type of thing. And, and we're all different, you know. So it isn't, isn't, I can't say, well, after two weeks, it's guaranteed to, to see this change. Our brains are all wired somewhat similar, similarly in that regard. So the important thing is to just keep experimenting and recognize that you're developing a skill and it might be done badly at first.
1: I think we could all use some encouragement, especially during this pandemic. Thank you. I gotta, I gotta find uh, online where I can find that sharing thing. That sounds like it's right up my alley.
2: Yeah, that that is a great uh, actionable takeaway. Are there a couple of other small ones that you would suggest today for advisors to consider? You mean the celebrations? Just in general, thinking oh, through I, what yes. we've talked about, actionable oh. takeaways for advisors. Are there one or two oh, small steps? you would suggest today for advisors
3: to consider? The best place to start is that question, what type of person do I want to be in the upcoming months? I think that's where you've got to start. And then in terms of the tiny steps, it comes from whatever that character trait is. So if it's becoming better at prospecting, then the tiny version is, make at least one prospecting call a day, Schedule one meeting a day. It's something along those lines. That, that's really the best suggestion I can have. Start tiny. But I would also say, pick tiny habits for a, a couple of other areas. So pick a tiny health habit, pick a tiny organizational thing as well. And that way it won't, you won't obsess about the one thing and you'll start to learn that skill more quickly, which will build your confidence and then encourage you to do more. And that's really the way the process works. Well, that's
2: great. And Matt, These podcasts always go so fast, and it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today, and thanks for joining us. Likewise. Really good to spend some time with you both. If you are an advisor and would like to know more about how Matt Anderson may be able to help you move your business forward, go to www.matt-anderson.com. That's M-A-T-T-dash-sign-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N.com. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor.
0: Thank you for listening to The Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.